episode 69 of the podcast to be named later. I am Chris Willis, and tonight I'm joined by special guest Grant McCauley, whom I'm sure you all know from 92.9 The Game, Around the Diamond, Locked on Braves, and of course, the uh, host of Battery Power TV. Grant does a lot of things. He's always busy. Th- Grant, thank you for hopping on tonight, and I hope you're doing all right. Yeah, happy to do it. It's been a long time since we've sat down, and I'm sure it won't be too much longer until we sit down again. And I say both of those jokingly because we both know the answers to those questions. Yeah, we'll, um, new Battery Powered TV episode will be coming up on Friday, so I'll be sure and check that out. But uh, now I wanted to talk a couple of things this week. We're a week, barely, uh, well, less than a week now from uh, pitchers mm-hmm. and catchers reporting to spring training. But we had the release of some preseason uh, projections and uh, this week, and very favorable to the Braves. We had the Pakota projections from Baseball Prospectus. Uh, and we had the Fangraphs playoff odds from over at Fangraphs. You know, I, I was pretty blown away by these things. Uh, Pakota has the Braves at 100, 100 wins, 99.8% chance to uh, make the playoffs, 18.7% to win the World Series, which is the highest uh, highest odds or highest chance of anybody else. The Dodgers are second at 17.1%. Pakota's always been kind of historically low on the Braves, you know, so it was a little bit surprising when I saw this come out. They've got them running away with NL East again. I don't think it's surprising that we, we see in, we're seeing uh, favorable projections this time, but did you know, what did you think about those when you saw them come out? No, I mean, it really shouldn't be surprising. I mean, projections are what they are, and I think everybody enjoys them because it's just one of the little mile markers that you've got until you get to spring training in the regular season. And then once you get into the season, you know, by the time you played it, I don't know, for me, I mean, just a few games, a few weeks, a couple months, whatever, you're not really thinking about the projections. You might mention them again, but I think I always come back to, well, projections are, are just that. They're just paper, and you got to go out there and you got to do the winning. And I feel like the Braves have done that better than just about any team in baseball over the past six years. I mean, they have won a World Series. They had aspirations to win one the last couple of years. It didn't work out, but they were the winningest team in baseball of the last two seasons combined, certainly. And last year, with 104 wins, I think everybody felt like they had a lot more to do uh, to really crown their season and do everything that they wanted to do. So it's not a stretch to imagine that these guys could go out there and have that very same goal and uh, very good odds to do it Again, because you're returning so much of a historic offense, you addressed your pitching staff in both rotation and bullpen, and I feel like you just got a club that plays so well together that this has to be, at least in my mind, the odds-on favorite to not just win the National League, but to win it all. And I think the Braves are capable of doing that. They'll just have to solve that October riddle and figure out a way, perhaps, to maybe play somebody different in October to start with. I don't know what the answer to all of it is, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it for quite some time over the course of the season and the countdown to getting to October. But one thing's for sure, when you look at all these projections, lots of folks expect the Braves to be there in October and to be there for the World Series, and the Braves, they also expect themselves to be there. Just to go over the Fangraphs projections too, I mean, it's not it's about the same thing. They're, they're projected 98 wins, 98.9% playoff odds, 26.5% odds to ever projection to win the world series which is absurd for a preseason mm-hmm. preseason projection you know for some um, clarity there dodgers 
are at 15.5% per fan graphs. And you're right. I mean, projections are just projections. They're fun to talk about. I enjoy them because they're like a mile marker for the season. But I think the fan graphs in particular, because they update basically daily, it's mm-hmm. kind of fun to watch them. And it's kind of fun yeah. to watch them, watch them uh, ebb and flow throughout a season and, uh, you know, and everything. And I, you know, I don't really know, dig in and know how exactly how all of these work to a T, but it's hard to, you know, it's, you can't project injuries obviously in, in, in underperformance or anything like that. But, you know, just looking on paper, I think a lot of times a projection like this just re- reminds people just how good this roster is. I mean, when you watch a team day in, day out, 162 games, you know, I think sometimes you don't appreciate just how good of a roster is. A lot of times the warts are, you know, the shortcomings are the things that ebb and flow to the front. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, this is a this is a loaded Braves roster. Yeah, it totally is. And I think that that's nothing new because we saw what it's looked like over the course of the last few years to get to this point. I mean, there's been some changes. I mean, some of them very notable changes that people were kind of wondering. I mean, well, what's going to happen when you change out your first baseman, when you have to get a new shortstop, when you have to figure out a way to augment your rotation because you keep having to deal with injuries over and over again in the Braves? They just found a way to do it, and they found a way to do it and to more than just survive, but they're also they're thriving. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the Braves, in a lot of ways, especially in the regular season, they're living their best life. Now, they live their absolutely best life back in 2021, and it kind of reminded me when you talked about the odds and the that you know, watching them go throughout the course of the season, and I will always find this one to be my favorite. I think odds that I've ever looked at. I posted this when the Braves won the World Series on November second of twenty twenty one on July the 29th, which was about two weeks after Ronald Acuna Jr. had been hurt in the second half. Braves had to make some decisions about what they were going to do with the trade deadline. Their odds, according to Fangrass, of winning the World Series were zero point four percent. So it is fun to watch these things because a team with 0.4% chance of winning the World Series, which is a far cry from, what did you say, almost 26% on mm-hmm. the fan graphs to start the season anyway or to heading to spring training. A little bit different, uh, you know, go, really. I mean, they were in the outhouse back in 2021. They ended up in the penthouse. Right now, they're opening up in the penthouse, and we'll see where they are at the end of the season. But it is fascinating to watch this stuff. It is fun to talk about. And occasionally, you find a team that beats the odds the way that the Braves certainly did in 2021. We'll just see if they can you know, keep up with the odds and do the thing that they feel like they should do. More importantly, you know, they don't really feel like themselves that it's a long shot, but they know there's work that's got to be done. And they got to find a way again to solve that puzzle and advance, to survive in advance in October. That is definitely the name of the game there. Yeah, and, and mentioned in the 2021 season, if I'm not mistaken, I think Pakoda projected the Braves for a fourth-place finish in NL East that year, which a lot of people have made fun of. But if you remember – if you remember, you know, at August, August 1st, I mean, they didn't get over 500 to what? August 1st that year, August 2nd. They weren't that far from it, honestly. You know, so, I mean, that's something to think about. That team was so special and the way they took off at the mm-hmm. end and, and you yeah. know, to, to go on that unbelievable run. Uh, but, you know, I enjoy them. I think they're interesting. One thing that really jumped out at me was the amount of uh, difference between the Braves and the rest of the division. You know, yeah. the Phillies, of course, have, have eliminated the Braves' last two division series. We're within one game of the World Series last year. They're coming in at around 84 wins on uh, Pakoda and, and Fangraphs. And 
I kind of feel like, I, I, again, I don't really know. I know there's, you know, I think every team's got question marks. I think the Phillies have a few more than the Braves do at this point. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, this is a team that's been battle tested and, and everything. And in a lot of ways, uh, it makes me wonder if they're not in a situation where the Braves have been last couple of years where the, uh, you know, the projections weren't as kind to them. You know, I feel like they're kind of sleeping on the Phillies a little bit, but, uh, yeah. you know, what do you, what do you think there? Yeah, I don't think any of that's wrong. And I'll, I'll start out my, you know, thoughts on it by saying something that folks listening to this podcast may agree with may may not like it, but I mean, the Phillies and they've found a way to, you know, beat those odds and they have found a way to win uh, on the stage in which they needed to. They've had done it at the Braves expense to get their thing rolling in the last couple of years. I mean, they had to play in the wild card round. So, you know, maybe they were a little bit more battle ready for that NLDS. I don't know what it is for the Braves that they're going to have to figure out there. I mean, adding a little bit of extra fire and a couple of players and competitive edge that they want to keep and be able to really, you know, push them through October and do all of those things. But you have to give the Phillies credit. I mean, it is a team that when you look at it on paper, I certainly can see more flaws in their roster, more needs perhaps, uh, less of a chance of being able to overcome injury, particularly to their lineup. They've figured out ways to do it in the past, but, you know, they need a healthy Bryce Harper. I mean, just like the Braves need a healthy Matt Olson or a healthy Ron Lacuna or a healthy Austin Riley. But, you know, when you start to look at the other cogs of the Phillies machine, you got Kyle Schwarber that can hit a bunch of home runs. You've got Bryce Harper. You start to look around the rest of that club, and it's really one of those teams that I think that it's, you know, the sum of the parts is a little bit more of what the Phillies are than being the juggernaut that's built the same way that the Braves lineup is. So it'll be fascinating to see, you know, how they're able to overcome the things that are thrown at all 30 teams over the course of the year. They didn't feel like they could lose Aaron Nola. They didn't let that happen. They've still got Zach Wheeler. You know, their bullpen is, I think, fine, but could probably use a little bit of help. And I think there's some questions for their rotation too, but can that, is that all going to add up to keeping them out of October? I think they've shown us that that's not necessarily the case. And again, projections are just that. And I still will laugh at anybody projecting the Braves to finish fourth place in the division at any time since they won it in 2018 and started to go on their run. But uh, whatever the case, I don't think you can overlook the Phillies. I don't think you can sleep on the Phillies. You know, for me, maybe in the division, a bigger question mark is which version of the New York Mets is going to show up this year. The version that did a whole bunch of winning a couple of years ago or the version that pretty much went in about 18 different directions and none of them were winning in 2023. Yeah, and to close this segment out, that's I'm glad you mentioned that because I wanted to talk a little bit about the rest of the division. You know, the Mets and Marlins, are, uh, Fangraphs has got the Marlins actually at 81 wins and the Mets at 80 and a half. You know, wow. so they're pretty close. Pakoda's about the same. I think the Marlins could actually improve their projection if they sign a if they go out and sign a shortstop or you know make a trade for one of their young players and everything. It's a little strange to see that because I mean when you look at the Marlins, they've lost Sandy Alcantara to Tommy John surgery. They've lost Jorge Soler. You know, again they played all uh, Joey Wendell played a lot of uh, uh, big innings for them last year. He's gone now. I think actually to New York. So, yep. um, you know, when you look at the rest of the division, obviously the Nationals are projected to finish last again. But I mean, I see a lot of intriguing young players with that Washington roster if their pitching comes together and some of their young players hit you know I think they could surprise some folks but yeah I mean where do you how do you strike it up but the Marlins between the Marlins and the Mets at this point yeah I, I mean I would give the edge to the Mets just because I feel like they should be better but then again you look at the trade deadline and you know a reason why they were supposed to be good better or perhaps the best in the division heading into 2023 was the strength of their starting rotation and their, their lineup was opportunistic, if nothing else. They don't hit the ball as hard and as frequently and, and as consistently as the Atlanta Braves, but hey, who does? 
but that wasn't, you know, anything that kept them from being able to do the same kind of winning the Braves were just a couple of years ago. But it is a different looking club. There's no more Jacob deGrom. He had already left. Then they traded Scherzer and Verlander. I know they've made some different moves to try to address, you know, some of the pieces that they had to lose. But could they be walking into their last year with Pete Alonso? You know, what's this Mets club going to look like as they try to start building again? I mean, remember Max Scherzer, when he was traded away, he kind of spilled the beans that the front office told him, look, we're not really eyeing a competitive window for a year, maybe two. I would say that they're still well within that if that is, in fact, you know, the way things end up playing. But I think that the Marlins are kind of an upstart club, and I think that they showed flashes of being able to surprise some folks a year ago. Can they do it over 162? Do they have the power to do it over 162? I don't know. Uh, and then I know we saw that article in The Athletic that was the staff uh, preview, I guess, or review of the winters, the grades that they put out there. You know, those didn't give favorable grades, I don't think, to either the Mets or the Marlins. Oddly, the Braves didn't get a very good grade, but the Phillies did, and all the Phillies did was essentially make sure Aaron Nola didn't leave. I don't know that that's enough for me to give them more than a passing grade, but as we go back to what I talked about earlier, you can question the Phillies all you want to as far as their methods are concerned, but their results speak for themselves, and maybe that's what went into trying to figure out who it was uh, passed or failed, as the case was, or made the honor roll or the dean's list with their off-season acquisitions, which I'm sure every front office is printing out and putting on their wall. Yeah, and I mean, you make a good point with the Mets and Pete Alonso because I feel like that's still probably one of the uh, dominoes left to fall. Is, is if, they, if they don't, you know, if they don't lock him up long-term, if if it's a disappointing season, they're out of playoff reach, is he going to be on the move at the trade deadline, which mm-hmm. could, you know, is not only going to have an effect on the 2024 season, but obviously uh, going going forward for them. Uh, they're an intriguing club to watch, and uh, a lot of new faces there. Buck Walter's gone. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be a new, new uh, David Stearns finally has taken over as president of baseball operations. It's going to be interesting to see you know, how they perform, how they look and, and kind of the moves that they make it as far as we, uh, as far as it goes down. So yeah, all right, let's, uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and, uh, talk about spring training. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. 
Pitchers and catchers for the Atlanta Braves will head down to Northport on February the 14th. And the first workout is actually scheduled for the next day on February 15th. Grant, I know you're going to be heading down and uh, giving a lot of coverage uh, uh, while you're down there. It's always a fun time, pitchers and catchers. It's a, that's a phrase that every baseball fan rejoices in. You know, the long off season's almost over. But I'm curious, you know, what it, uh, Braves have some storylines going into the spring. What's the biggest one that you're going to be watching over the next uh, – a few weeks. Yeah, I, I don't know that there's necessarily one in spring training to go that's any bigger than health. You just want to see everybody be healthy, get their work in, arrive at opening day, and then hopefully stay that way, uh, which was not the case for the Braves rotation last year, as they had all kinds of question marks, including Max Fried getting hurt immediately into the regular season, which was not on their list of things they wanted to have happen. I think health is big. Man, bringing up Max Fried, I mean, there's going to be a lot of questions for him to answer throughout the course of the year. It may not be incessant and happening all the time, but it's going to percolate unless or until you know, perhaps there's something that uh, really lets people know what could be happening after the season with regard to his free agency. Will he end up getting offered an extension? Is he open to an extension? Is he you know, looking at free agency and thinking it's a great opportunity for him? I don't know. I think he talked at FanFest at length about really enjoying his time in Atlanta and being very appreciative of the opportunity he's had and the teammates that he has. I know that's not lost on Max Fried. That's obviously going to be one of the big stories, but there's not a lot of intrigue when it comes to positional battles for the Braves. You look at the infield, it's set. Behind the plate, they're set. You look at the outfield, it's set. You look in the starting rotation, yeah, we can talk about fifth starter a little bit, but if you had to go into the, the you know into the regular season with Spencer Strider, uh, Max Fried, Chris Sale, Charlie Morton, and then Bryce Elder, there are a lot of clubs across baseball that would love to have that problem, trying to figure out who their starting five is. We haven't even gotten into a bullpen that seems to be even deeper and perhaps even more lethal and better than it was a year ago. So, I mean, again, I don't know that there are a lot of questions for the Braves heading into spring training. I don't know if there's anything you have your eye on in particular. Health is always the biggest thing to me, but it's always great to get down there. Everyone's happy to see each other, and you start to just get that baseball activity going, and everybody's looking forward to that. Once you get on the other side of the Super Bowl, that's when the countdown gets very, very real to me. I've already got the suitcase out. I got to start packing. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, I'm interested in health, like you said. I think it'll be huge if the Braves can get through the spring with their four, first four guys in that rotation healthy. Obviously, all eyes are going to be on Chris Sale. You know, from that regard, I, I you know I don't get the sense that the Braves are going to bring him along too slowly either because he was pretty excited to get to work and, and yeah. it sounds yeah. like he's already in Northport throwing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we're going to have to see how that plays out. The fifth starter spot is interesting. Now, you and I previewed the rotation on Battery Power TV a week or so back, and uh, I think we both gave the edge to Bryce Elder, obviously. Mm-hmm. Tossed 177 innings for uh, him, uh, you know, last year, career high faded at the end but made the all-star team you know and, and what was was really his uh first full season in the majors so you know i'm in, i think he comes in with a little bit of an edge i'll be interested to see if anybody else can kind of make a charge to kind of the way dylan dodd jared schuster did last year uh mm-hmm. to you know make that a com uh, a competition you know everybody's going to be excited to see hurston waldrop and uh, of course aj smith shaver too uh but i do i agree with you i think it's uh i think elder is the uh is the prohibitive favorite going in. Uh, you know, Reynaldo Lopez, that's another one to keep yeah. an eye on too yeah. and see see how much they do him. I do wonder, though, I, I think you and I talked about this before, if if Chris Sale, uh, getting Chris Sale changes the equation a little bit with Lopez, you know, as far as that goes, I'm interested to see how much, how much rope they give him as a starter. 
Yeah, and I don't really know that once he found success in the bullpen that you want to necessarily put him back in the role in which he struggled so mightily in. But, you know, new organization, new philosophies, different look. I mean, who's to say? I mean, with that arm, you can't say that he might not find a way to make himself into an effective starter. But the Braves, they aren't desperate in that regard. I mean, Bryce Elder threw a lot of important innings for the Braves last year. He was a stabilizing force for quite some time where it felt like they had Spencer Strider, they had Charlie Morton, and they had Bryce Elder, and they were figuring out two other spots in the rotation through what felt like the majority of the season between Max Fried missing about 17, 18 starts and Cal Wright missing even more than that. And now Cal Wright is no longer in the organization. I didn't have that on the list of things this time a year ago that I would have thought would be a realistic possibility. But, yeah, I, I think this is a rotation that's it's got some depth. It may want to see a little bit more development for A.J. smith Shawver, though he did pitch in the big leagues last year and certainly for Hurston Waldrop, but they are intriguing arms. And that's another thing to watch down in spring training is what kind of experience and what kind of, I don't know, I want to say marching orders, but just what is going to be imparted upon them as they go and get that work in to let them know and let the club know that, hey, we're ready for that next challenge and you can when you need to call on these arms and expect them to come up and do the things that you need to do to compete the way the Braves are expected to compete. So I think the Chris Sale acquisition changed the entire complexion of the Braves rotation. That may be the, the oversimplification of this podcast, but it was a move that not a lot of folks saw coming in terms of the name, but everybody was hoping the Braves would be able to get some kind of experienced starter to make this group that much better. And if healthy, which is a big if, it, and if past tells us anything, but hopefully he's able to turn the corner if Chris Sale's healthy, it really changes a lot for the Atlanta Braves, I believe. I think the other area to keep an eye on, and it, it probably it's probably going to be another month before you can really focus in on it, is the bench. Obviously, the Braves have 37 players on their 40-man roster, so there's room there. They're going to get three more spots, I'm anticipating, when the 60-day IL mm-hmm. comes into play if they need them. So, you know, a lot of roster flexibility, which isn't something that we always see with the club, you know, at this point of the spring. A lot of times they go to they head to Northport with a full forty man, but that's not the case this time. No. Luis Luis Giorme, uh, they signed him major league contract. I'm giving him a little bit of an edge in that in that race for the bench. You know, Jordan Luplo, Eli White are back in camp this year, possibly completing him for the uh, backup outfield spot. Uh, uh, David Fletcher, of course, came over from the Angels, was outrouted mm-hmm. off the forty man, but he's going to be in the spring. He's experienced, you know. He could play play shortstop if needed. Uh, but I, I'm, you know, I can remember a time where we thought the bench was going to be one thing going into the final week of the spring, and all of it got ripped up, and they claimed a bunch of guys, and and it come out completely different. Yeah, it's 2019, if I'm not mistaken. And Matt Joyce was a really nice pickup for the Braves that year. And I, I think he had been with a couple of clubs in the spring and got cut loose. That roster crunch, having those three open spots in the 40-man, even if we maybe sign some of these guys to minor league deals with opt-outs in sometime in May or six weeks or however they want to do that, they've got a lot more flexibility to do it. And when you have a roster that's as set as the Braves is, they don't have a ton of questions and they're not going to rely on their bench because they don't employ a bunch of platoons and even with Jared Kelnick, I think they want to give him some opportunity to face some lefties. So you're really not even looking for somebody who maybe played as much as Kevin Pillar did a year ago. It's going to be fascinating to see. I mean, you want to do the load management. Everybody wants to see guys get through the season healthy if they need a day or two or whatever. And you want to have somebody just in case something happens. But yeah, I, I don't know that we have all the names that might be on the Atlanta Braves bench when we come to, or when we get to opening day at the end of March. 
yeah, as you said, that's the, the flexibility I think is important because like I said, we've not always seen that. And that's one thing they really spent a lot of the off season trying to, trying to build into that bullpen because they were pretty much locked into the same group for most of last year. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I don't expect those to have those answers early in the spring, but as teams start to pare down their spring rosters, guys start to opt out. You know, I expect the Braves to be active. Last thing I wanted to touch on before we get out of here tonight, uh, this news broke a little bit earlier. Jesse Chavez signed a minor league deal with the Chicago White Sox. When this tweet the tweet came out, of course, I was greeted with about a thousand tweets of all saying, uh, you know, he'll he'll be back. The Bra- you know, it's from now to the trade deadline. <laughs> Um, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy Jesse's getting another chance. He pitched really well last year until he had that freak injury where he was hitting the shin with a, a line drive from Miguel Cabrera, uh, missed about three months, was left off the division series roster. But, you know, he's been, um, uh, he's been posting some videos on Instagram of him throwing. He looks, he looks healthy. And, um, uh, I know he said, you know, he's looking for one more shot and 2024 might be it. Yeah, it might be, and we'll see if he's able to make the White Sox. I mean, you talk about a veteran that adds a lot to a club that's trying to figure out quite a few things, and he's going to see some familiar faces once he gets there because you've got the likes of Michael Soroka, I mean, Tuki Toussaint, Jared Schuster, Kevin Pillar just signed there, Nicky Lopez. As it seemed like the Braves loaded up everyone that they had a question about as far as non-tenders were concerned, and they shipped them all to the White Sox for Aaron Bummer. But a whole bunch of former Braves there, so I think he'll – appreciate knowing a few folks, but Jesse is a credit to any locker room that he walks into. You don't work harder than Jesse Chavez does. And I know he doesn't throw as hard as he did when he was younger, but he is effective. And I think he could teach some of those young pitchers an awful lot. So it would not surprise me to see Jesse Chavez make that club. And I guess we can go ahead and complete the circle here. It would not surprise me to see the Atlanta Braves find some way to acquire Jesse Chavez if need be before the season is over. But either way, all jokes aside, excited for him to get one more run. If that's indeed what he wanted, he certainly deserves it. He has worked his butt off. And, you know, you want to see him have the opportunity to go out the way that he wants to and not being told, hey, there's just no room for you anywhere. I I hope that Jesse Chavez is able to have some fun in Chicago and pitch some meaningful games, as the case may be. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, always pulling for Jesse Chavez, one of the good guys. You know that's a, that's going to wrap us up today. Uh, anything else you want to you want to talk about before we get out of here? No, I'm just really excited to get down to spring training. I'll have all kinds of stuff coming at you from the diamond. I'm going to be doing four one-hour spring training specials. I'll be posting links to those on my social media accounts. Mostly, if you follow me on X at Grant McCauley or Instagram at Grant McCauley, you can find links there. And I, I've redesigned from the diamond.com. There's everything that you need to have right on the top navigation to connect with me and my coverage. And I'll be posting everything from BPTV that I do with Chris every week to episodes of from the diamond articles for the Marietta daily journal and so much more that I'm doing as far as my coverage on 92.9, the game. So I invite any and everybody to follow along if you don't already. And if you do, I really appreciate it. Yeah. We appreciate you jumping on tonight too. Steven's under the weather. Hopefully he's going to be feeling better and back next week. And, uh, I really appreciate you jumping on at the last minute. Also, as you mentioned, Grant and I host battery power TV over on YouTube, closing in on 5,000 subscribers. Uh, so head over to our YouTube page and, and like, and subscribe and help us reach that milestone. If you, if you don't mind, again, a big thank you to Grant for hopping on tonight and we'll be back next week.